1: Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we have Nady Brady talking about NAD plus and ageing. On previous shows, I've talked about research into slowing the ageing process through calorie restriction diets that activate the longevity sirtuin genes. Since that time, we've discovered that the sirtuin longevity genes are connected with levels of a substance called NAD plus in cells nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide. The latest research shows that aging, environmental neurotoxins, Alzheimer's, ciguatera, alcohol addiction, diabetes and many other illnesses all revolve around the NAD system in the cell. We need to understand what happens when it goes wrong and how to repair the system. NAD-plus is vital for our mitochondria to make energy from glucose and for cells to be signalled to where they need to repair DNA. This DNA repair factors into which genes get expressed and how our body heals. We have less and less of nad in our cells as we age. Aged mice, given compounds that cells can quickly make into NAD-plus to bring it back to youthful levels, have the energy and healing of young mice. Could this work in humans? To understand NAD+, I visited Dr. Nady Brady at the Centre for Healthy Brain Ageing at the University of New South Wales. Our discussion was too long for one show, so I've reassembled the discussion into three parts. My aim is to make the amazing work he's doing more easy to follow. I'll be playing one short interview per week for the next three weeks with Supporting Explanation. This week we focus on NAD Plus and ageing. So first up, here's the NAD Plus news. Reverse ageing and live longer? Compounds based on variations of vitamin B3 have reversed many of the symptoms of ageing in mice. Researchers have found that by increasing the amount of nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide NAD+, in the cells of aged mice to the levels in young mice, that energy production in mitochondria increased, DNA repair was improved, increased muscle endurance, protection of neurons, improvement of blood glucose, and insulin sensitivity, resistance to weight gain, protection against oxidative stress, improvements in memory, learning and concentration, and reduction in inflammation responses. The two main contenders are nicotinamide riboside from Charles Brenner, who leads the team from the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine and Queen's University Belfast, and nicotinamide mononucleotide from David Sinclair, who leads the team from Harvard Medical School and the University of New South Wales. Both compounds are from the same metabolic pathway that the body uses to make nad in cells, from food. Both compounds have been tested for safety. Both compounds are due to be tested for efficacy against aging and a whole range of illnesses. And both compounds have been the subject of self-experimentation by their research team leaders. Both are developed and sold as nutraceuticals, functional foods, so they have less regulations to get to market than pharmaceuticals. Nicotinamide riboside clinical trials published in 2016 showed that it's safe to use the compound to bring nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide levels in cells back up to youthful levels. Nicotinamide riboside (NR) is a derivative of vitamin B3 and NR is not connected in any way to nicotine. Research team leader Charles Brenner is also a consultant for the Chromadex company that manufactures NR, and his companies sell the compound as Noagen. The safety trial involved just six healthy men and six healthy women. Many more people will be involved when they do the trials of how effective the compound is. Blood tests showed that NAD levels were increased in the subjects in proportion to the dose they were given, without harmful side effects. The next steps will be to test it on healthy people for longer and for people who suffer from aging, elevated cholesterol, obesity and diabetes and people at risk for chemotherapeutic peripheral neuropathy nerve damage from chemotherapy cancer treatments Nicotinamide riboside is found naturally in milk and yeast products like beer but you drown before you consumed enough to have a medical effect After many years of research on mice Brenner made himself into a case study and tried the stuff himself. He found a compound in his blood that turned out to be a good indicator of how much NAD plus was being made in cells. The nicotinamide riboside was turned into NAD plus, which when used up was turned into nicotinic acid adenine dinucleotide, NAAD, which could be measured in his blood. He put the lessons learned from self-experimentation back into the mouse experiments, and finally into clinical trials with other humans. His paper on the safety trials was titled Nicotinamide Riboside is Uniquely and Orally Bioavailable in Mice and Humans and was published in the journal Nature Communications. The Chromadex company conducted more clinical trials of nicotinamide riboside in 2016. Its first trial was an eight-week, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, parallel trial in 140 healthy adults ranging in age from 40 to 60. They plan another eight trials over the course of 2017. One of the trials, conducted in collaboration with the Mayo Clinic and the University of Minnesota Clinical and Translational Science Institute, will study the effect of nicotinamide riboside on the levels of NAD in the brains of college football players who've suffered no more than three concussions. They'll administer NR and see how the levels of NAD in the athlete's brain change over three months in hopes of staving off the brain diseases associated with repeated concussions from sports. In 2014, David Sinclair showed that nicotinamide mononucleotide supplements rejuvenated the mitochondria in the muscles of aged mice. Mice, the equivalent of 60-year-old humans, had their skeletal and heart muscles rejuvenated to the equivalent of 20-year-olds in just 7 days. A collaborative team between the Keio University School of Medicine in Tokyo and Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis has started a Phase 1 human clinical study of 10 healthy people for the safety and bioavailability of nicotinamide mononucleotide, NMN. The first signs are that it is quite safe, which is not surprising given that David Sinclair in his TED Talk admitted not only to regularly taking NMN himself with improvements to his health, but also giving it to his family. David Sinclair will begin human clinical trials of nicotinamide mononucleotide as an anti-aging treatment by September 2017 at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. If the trial goes well, he believes in an anti-aging treatment based on nicotinamide mononucleotide NMN, could be on the market within three to five years. Our cells' ability to repair DNA damage from radiation declines with age. Cosmic radiation damages the DNA cells of astronauts, which would cause muscle weakness, memory loss and other symptoms after they return from Mars, if they don't die from cancer. David Sinclair and his colleague Lindsay Wu won NASA's iTech Prize for a solution to radiation sickness from travelling to Mars. David Sinclair's team's latest paper is titled, A Conserved NAD plus Binding Pocket That Regulates Protein-Protein Interactions During Aging, and was published in the journal Science. Whether Sinclair with his NMN nicotinamide mononucleotide or Brennan with his NR nicotinamide riboside gets better results, either way, we all win. Being nutraceuticals, they will both have copycat products sold online of various degrees of reliability, because regulation is too lax. Perhaps we could trust the products more if they were sold as pharmaceuticals with the extra regulations, but then they would cost more. As long as live long and prosper doesn't become live long as long as you prosper. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now Dr. Nadie Brady at the Centre for Healthy Brain Ageing at the University of New South Wales, where he studies the effects of environmental neurotoxins on the brain and their role in the ageing process. His main focus is the NAD, Nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide system, which has lower levels as we age. NAD plus is involved in DNA repair, healing, gene expression, inflammation, and converting glucose into energy in our cells. It can be disrupted by environmental neurotoxins. I began by asking Nady, what's the role of NAD plus?
3: Okay, basically, nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide, or NAD plus is a basic building block in cells. To produce ATP, which is energy, and improve mitochondrial function and DNA repair, you basically need NAD as a cofactor or substrate for, for most of these pathways.
1: How does this relate to aging?
3: Basically, what well, we, we first showed in 2011 in, in a physiologically aged rats, so these are not mu- rats with human mutations, they are just rats that are kept going for uh, to the end of the lifespan. Normally, rats in the wild live up to like what, six months to 12 months, about to one year. But what we had is rats that were aged to up to three years. So that's more than the main maximum lifespan of these animals. And what we found, right, is uh, parallel to increased oxidative stress and inflammation, we found that there's significant decline in NAD synthesis. So that could be two reasons. Either the pathway is being inhibited somehow, not enough NAD levels are being produced, or it could be that the NAD turnover is increased. In supply and demand, so there's increased demand of NAD, but there's not much supply of it
1: right so if your body is making more nad plus you'll be able to repair more things and age more slowly
3: that's right that's right however we just need to be careful is that much of this stuff is all still new so how much is too much is an important question now what i'm trying to show is is that i'm trying to identify individuals main nad threshold what is the optimal level of NAD in certain individuals so a few years ago, we did a blood test looking at NAD levels and what we found is that there was a significant variation in NAD levels between me and my supervisors, PhD supervisors actually, this is in 2011. Now, for example, one of my PhD supervisors is very fit, athletic, and plays handball and does, is physically active. So his level of NAD is about 20 nanomoles, whereas my level of NAD, where I'm like half their age and not much like athletic or anything like that, was like 5 nanomoles. So could, could it be that I have actually NAD levels are lower than normal or is that what my main threshold is? What I'm trying to explore is I want to see what the NAD levels should be in the main population and characterise NAD levels to meet individual per person's needs. And then we see is there NAD depletion in these people or could it be that that's how the main body normally functions in healthy controls?
1: I've seen David Sinclair give a TED talk where he talks about NMN as his way of activating more NAD plus production in the cells and the fact that he's been taking it himself and he's now been giving it to his family but they're now starting human clinical trials. Can you talk about that?
3: I can only say that NMN is one of the precursors for NAD so actually why NMN is critical is because it joins all the main pathways of NAD First of all, the, there's a the de novo NAD synthesis pathway from tryptophan, which requires seven to eight steps to form NMN, which then forms NAD. Also, a nicotinic acid and nicotinamide, which are found in food, can also need to form NMN in order to form NAD. And there's a new precursor now that's been identified called nicotinamide riboside, or NR, which is also interchangeable for NMN. So basically, NMN appears to be the most uh, important precursor for the NAD pathway. And in some tests that we've done, which we haven't published yet, the NMN levels are very significantly low and very difficult to detect. That doesn't mean that it's not there, it means that it's always being catabolized at a faster rate, hence providing further evidence of the importance of NMN.
1: There's a whole lot of supplements online that claim to be either NMN or NM-ribose or, or various of those. Are they things people could <coughs> buy that would be effective?
3: Okay, so far there has been a pharmacokinetic study of NR showing that NR can increase NAD. So that, that is the, that is where everything is headed yet. If NMN can if pharmacokinetic studies of NMN can be done and human trial and, and and trial into humans and that data can be reported, well then that can also be a uh, important precursor. Similar to NR because as I mentioned before NR and NMN are interchangeable. Uh, things like nicotinic acid have always been, uh, been advertised, however it can cause flushing and alterations in, in blood vasculature like vasodilation like your face turns pink, but that's due to other effects with the, with the endothelial cells. So that's not really so something that's, that's good to take. There's another pre- precursor, nicotinamide, or they call it niacinamide. However, nicotinamide also is an inhibitor of, of certain energy dependent pathways. So, for example, in DNA repair, NAD is, is the substrate for pub mediated repair of DNA. However, the NAD becomes nicotinamide. Which, which in certain amounts will end up blocking that enzyme. Similarly with sirtuins, how they depend on NAD, nicotinamide can actually block the sirtuin activity in high levels. So by taking high levels of nicotinamide, you can actually, it can be deleterious by blocking off the other NAD-dependent pathways. The tryptophan has been tried, and it's still the de novo pathway, meaning it's the, it's the main pathway of NAD production in cells. However, in the last few decades, it, was, it has been taken off the supply chain because some people have actually died. Taking tryptophan, now that could be either one of two reasons. One, the tryptophan that's been marked, it, it was not uh, made properly, so it, it had some contamination, which caused some toxicity. Or it could be that tryptophan is being broken down to form cytotoxins, such as clininic acid, hydroxyanthrinic acid, which are all part of the pathway prior to NAD production.
1: If you take regular vitamin B3 or nicotinic acid, as NAD plus precursors, it can cause flushing. You could try nicotinamide or niacinamide, but it blocks the actions of NAD plus in energy production and cell repair, so don't do it. People have tried to take tryptophan to increase NAD plus levels, but some people died from these experiments. Could be contamination in the tryptophan you buy online, but tryptophan's also been known to cause various toxins in the body. And have you come across any new environmental toxins that you didn't know about before that contribute to brain ageing?
3: Yes, we found things like uh, saxitoxin and anatoxin that but in polluted waterways. They all do similar things, such as increased uh, oxidative production leading to apoptosis of cells.
1: Is this occurring naturally in the waterways, or is this industrial pollution?
3: Some of it's industrial produced, and some of it's actually produced by microbes. But well, sometimes industrial pollution can provide a right environment for the microbes to proliferate similar to algae. They increase phosphates, fertilisers into the waterways. can uh, provide an environment which is good for green algae to grow. Water waste.
1: Have you looked at treatments for that yet?
3: Uh, Not yet, not yet. Too soon, soon, yes. Well, these things like saxitoxin and there it's mostly environmental damage and not much reports of actually uh, people being uh, affected with them. So the main uh, management procedure would actually be the treatment of water.
1: Tell me about your Alzheimer's research.
3: OK, basically, right, we're we, we branching into a new field called lipidomics.
1: Lipidomics is the large-scale study of pathways and networks of cellular lipids in biological systems. Fats are a kind of lipid.
3: So, in the Centre of Healthy Ageing, we normally have been working for the last year, the, the couple of years on proteomics, looking at uh, changes in the proteome as potential diagnostic biomarkers. A proteome is a set of proteins produced in an organism. So now what we've done is uh, we've, uh, I've got a PhD student who's f- recently published a, a paper in Alzheimer's and Dementia, which is factor 11.3, which is one of the top uh, papers, uh, journals in, in Alzheimer's research. So looking at the idea of, of running lipidomics, as in analyzing the lipid profile in the blood, as a, a way to identify certain diagnostic markers, because one marker in the blood is not going to be the main marker, where it would be an array of uh, several different types of markers, whether they're proteins or lipids. So by combining both a lip, a, a protein and lipid profiles, it can get, be a, one step closer to diagnosing much earlier who, who c- will get dementia or who has dementia much earlier than relying on MRIs and cognitive tests. Because diagnosis, of course, of dementia is a problem. Yes. You actually are not officially diagnosed with dementia until a, a postmortem brain brain assessment of looking at amulabilia counts and by
1: that point it's a bit late
3: that's right that's right
1: right. and the earlier you intervene in alzheimer's disease the the more
3: benefits you can give for the carer and for the patient that's right and also another thing we're working we're starting to work on is we got another phd student working on vascular dementia looking at vascular interactions because vascular dementia is the less well-known forms of dementia it's related to uh, vascular causes for example there could be some sort of stroke or hemorrhaging in the brain which occludes some of the vasculature in the brain it leads to cognitive impairment. So there are some vascular risks, but we want to identify those and be more precise. The third thing that we're doing is actually uh, pushing through this NAD ID. So what we've got some ethics to, to measure NAD levels in blood, particularly vascular dementia patients. So we've done some of that, and we've shown that there is significant NAD alteration in NAD metabolism. For example, there's depletion NAD levels. So we want to see is that something which is as a consequence of vascular dementia or is it something that occurs earlier that can lead to vascular dementia? So that's, that's something that we're trying to identify. And then our collaborators in USA are and I, and NAD are trying to see whether the potential of using NAD IV infusions to ameliorate some of the symptoms of dementia, but that's all in the like, in future.
1: That was Nadie Brady at the University of New South Wales Centre for Healthy Brain Ageing talking about NAD plus and ageing. By working out how the pattern of lipids in the blood of people with Alzheimer's disease is different to healthy people, Nady can develop a diagnostic test that will tell us who has Alzheimer's much earlier than current methods of brain scans and verbal tests. And they have lower levels of NAD+. American researchers will test whether intravenous infusions with NAD+, can help alleviate dementia symptoms. You can hear more from Nady Brady about his work on NAD+,
2: next week.
1: So, start. why are you marching?
2: Well, I'm a great believer in critical thinking and science in general, and I'm not a great believer in the old phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, because how else would we progress? We'd still be in caves if we took that view. So, I'm always th- saying, you know, we should be out there pushing boundaries, whether it be adventure, science, exploration. And you feel that's in danger? Yeah, the whole climate of. of Thinking and media and press and at the, at the moment, for a long time now we haven't had critical thought in public space. Yeah, it's opinion, which is so so fallible. You know, it's, it's unreliable. We know that. And are there any particular policies regarding
1: science that have worried you?
2: Yeah, the climate debate, or the lack of climate debate. Yes, or the fact that you you can actually say that there is a debate. Yeah, the fact that it, it, you know, a debate implies that it's an opinion issue. Yeah, this, this so climate change is critical area funding research so I'm not a, a researcher I'm not a I work in the private industry in a technical role but I, I support this, the work that scientists do because without it we you know most of us wouldn't have jobs ultimately most of us wouldn't have a the lifestyle that we have climate change is the big one how to actually get bring on the you know people in, in other in other cultures and things like that without the same Footprint—not just carbon footprint, but the same footprint that we that we abuse in in the West. If the, if that makes sense, yeah, we have a large footprint in in resources, carbon generation, etc. Yeah, we need to bring the rest of the world to our level of ease of life, without incurring that same debt, that future debt. Terrific. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: My name is Taylor Siska. I'm a PhD student at uh, the University of Sydney, studying biochemistry. I'm also American and so I'm here for my PhD. I've been here about two years.
1: Why are you marching?
0: I'm marching for a couple different reasons, one, I'm a scientist, and the other one is I, I guess maybe it goes along with being a scientist, I really want to get more people engaged in science because it's frustrating like talking to family or friends who don't really want to hear about what I do because it's so hard or so complicated and it's like no, like it's not, you can understand it. So yeah, I just want to get more people excited about science.
1: And are you concerned about what you hear from politicians?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's really disheartening to see them, um, you know, in some cases, just sort of all out rejecting uh, the scientific consensus on various issues. And so I feel like, you know, movements like this, that get more people engaged, more people excited, and maybe the politicians who start listening a bit closer.
1: And there's also been cuts to the funding of scientists.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a constant. <laughs> yeah, and that's, of course, really concerning, just because, like, that's the only way research happens and innovation happens, is we need the money in order to do it.
1: Does it worry you for your career that you might get your funding cut off before you finish any projects?
0: I'm not concerned about finishing my degree, but yeah, it is, it is a worry to have. But I feel like the bigger issue is that if there's no money for science, then there's just no science in general. And yeah, that, that concerns me personally, but uh, it also me for, concerns me for society in general. This is a really good event, and I hope we have a lot of people. We're expecting a lot more than we originally thought, and so that's really exciting, and hopefully we can just keep this momentum going and keep getting things happening.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Go to the website, click on the tab on the right, and send us a voicemail to be played on air. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. Support the show at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the Community Radio Network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tenet Creek, 2NVR in Nambaka Valley, and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science 360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos from this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.